welcome to the Accelerate Positivity podcast on social and emotional learning, aka SEL. Here, you will learn from wellness and SEL experts about how to increase positivity and decrease negativity in your life. You'll be an SEL expert in no time. Welcome to another episode of the Accelerate Positivity podcast. I'm Kerrigan, your host, joined once again by Tom Reardon, our SEL teacher and class of representative. And today we're talking all about relationship skills. And we're super excited to have Mickey Atkins on this episode to help us dive into this super exciting and relevant topic. Mickey is a fat positive and social justice oriented therapist, social worker, and YouTuber. Mickey, I want to kind of just hand it over to you and have you tell our listeners a little bit more about you before we get started. Okay, cool. Thank you. Well, I'm super excited to be here. Um, My regular job, I guess, uh, (laughs) like my normal day job is being a therapist in private practice. That's kind of my bread and butter and the work that gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, but I also make therapy and mental health related content on the internet, um, YouTube specifically, but also on Instagram and TikTok and other places. So primarily my goal with that is just to share the information that I have and kind of give people access to this information that normally is behind a paywall. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my shtick is I just like never stop talking about mental health and boundaries and relationships and like all of the things. Well, speaking of relationship skills, let's define it. So Castle defines relationship skills as the abilities to establish and maintain healthy and supportive relationships and to effectively navigate settings with diverse individuals and groups. So let's unpack that a bit. I love. I would love to hear from you guys on what you think about that definition and if you feel like you could maybe add to it or change it in any way. Well, I think... You know, the key thing to remember is that we are constantly working with other people and interacting with other people, and there's really not many things we can do solely on our own. So I think, I don't know, I feel like any definition of relationships is is often lacking that kind of like all-inclusive, like, hey, if you have these skills, your life is going to be so much easier. Um, So I, you know, it's a tough question, Kerrigan. Like, how do we improve on that (laughs) definition while also making sure people understand that this is not the easiest thing in the world to to do? Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point, though, because oftentimes when we talk about relationships, people automatically jump to that, like, romantic relationship Uh, perspective. And like, yes, that's a very big part of a lot of people's lives, but also, you know, the relationship that you have with your mechanic and the relationship that you have with your classmates and coworkers, like those are all relationships. And there is a lot of skill that goes into navigating those interactions in a successful way. And, you know, in like a quote unquote healthy way. Um, I tell my clients all the time that I I really dislike labeling things as healthy or unhealthy or like normal or abnormal. Um, So I guess in terms of relationships, it's more about like what's helpful to you um, and like what helps you and the person in your relationship get what you're looking for out of those interactions. Um, And unfortunately, that's not something that we really talk about, you know, 
I learned a whole lot about algebra and mm-hmm. <laughs> how the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. And like, they even taught me how to sew when I was in high school, but I didn't learn anything about relationships until, you know, I went to grad school basically. And all of those things that they taught you about could have been related to interacting with other people. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the coolest things about teaching folks about relationships is that you can apply almost every subject in school to relationship building. Um, when you talk about how things have to interact, I mean, uh, and all those parts, I mean, you mentioned boundaries, you could talk about boundaries all day long, but there's parts of relationship skill building, right? That have to happen first before you can establish health, healthy boundaries. You know, mm-hmm. you have to understand what respect is and how to communicate assertively and mm-hmm. navigate mm-hmm. trust. Um, you know, so I don't know if we're putting the cart before the horse here, Kerrigan. No, but, not at all. Um, it's such a big topic, right? And I feel like huge now we are we are fortunately kind of shifting to incorporating more of these skills like you're teaching kids in school, these SEL skills. So that's amazing. But I think for the rest of us, we... And, and still a lot of schools that aren't getting these, um, these lessons, we are left to looking up to the people in our lives and seeing how they interact with others and how they communicate with others and us. And that's not, and they, they don't always know how to do it either. So it's kind of just this like endless cycle, right. Of, of us just trying to figure it out and then acting in a way that we get out of it, you know, in a personal, in, in, in interpersonal uh, situation where we're like, okay, well that didn't work, but then we don't necessarily have the skills to know what to do differently the next time. Yeah. So, and I a think lot that's a big part of it too. Yeah. A lot of us, you know, the way that we learn, especially conflict, like how do we deal with a disagreement or a conflict is just by watching the adults in our life. Right. And so, you know, we're all flawed people. None of us are really ever fully done growing or have figured it out. So when, when we have kids who are learning about relationships and conflict and boundaries only from those, you know, very human, very flawed adults in their life, like we're going to miss things, things are going to fall through the cracks. So I really love this idea of presenting, you know, like the next generation of adults with these really formal um, and like fleshed out skills. Yeah, maybe Tom, you can speak a little bit to how these show up in your classes. Well, I think the one of the biggest things, and this is this is for all teachers, regardless of subject, is you know really modeling the basic relationship skills. And when and I think of like you know respect as being the key kind of you can't have a healthy relationship. And any type of relationship, like Mickey was saying, with your mechanic or your classmate or your neighbor or your your significant other or whoever it is in your life, you can't have a healthy relationship with them without respect. So, you know, one of the, the key things that I talk about from day one in a classroom is we are going to operate from respect. And what does that mean? And I make sure that we are all on the same page because you would be surprised or maybe not, how difficult it is for the average person to define respect. Um, And I mean, and I even struggle with coming up with a good definition of respect because the one in the dictionary is terrible. 
So it's really important to kind of, I think that's the, where you kick off is what is respect and what does that look like? And what does it mean to actually say, treat people the way you want to be treated? Um, you know, if I want you to be nice to me, I better be nice to you. And you, you know, and we all know that there are a lot of people who do not get that. Um, so that's a great place to start Kerrigan. And then, you know, then it goes into communication and how do we talk to each other and, and how do I listen to you and remember and remembering that communication is not just me talking, it's me listening and me understanding um, somebody else. So, you know, my grandmother used to say, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason, you know, and she would slowly remind me that I need to listen twice as much as I talk, right? So modeling good communication skills. Um, you know, we're all, we're all passive sometimes. We all sit on our voice when we should speak out. We're all aggressive sometimes and, you know, and go on the attack. Um, but the goal, right, is to be as assertive as possible and stand up for ourselves, stand up for other people without putting someone else down to do that, saying, you know, here's how I feel and here's why I feel that way. Yes, I'm mad right now and here's why I'm mad. It's a lot easier to solve a problem if the other person knows why you're mad. I can fill up our hour today by just, I can keep going. But, you know, it's about modeling behavior um, and then moving into moving into what trust is and, and establishing boundaries and taking responsibility for our actions and treating people as equals, um, you know, and then paying attention to how we feel about things and self-esteem and that. It's all kind of in the lessons each week that we do at CASA. Um, and as for all teachers, it should, it's gotta be there every day. Mm -hmm. um, just showing folks, you know, how to behave. It does bring up a good point. Um, just that I imagine being a teacher, it would be very, it's tricky because you want, like you kind of have to be on because you want to set a good example. And the same for parenting. Like I don't, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be a parent, you know? Um, but it's kind of a lot of pressure. Well, I think people forget about that, you know, because there, there is this like pressure to sort of model the appropriate behavior um, and be the person who's coming to the table, showing all of these like quote unquote healthy and appropriate relationship skills. Um, but I think there is also something to be said for modeling that like very human tendency that we have to yes. say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. We're like lean too far into being angry or not regulating our emotions because again, like that's a very human thing that we all experience. And I think the modeling there is useful, not because obviously we're modeling, like, you know, using aggressive instead of assertive communication, but because we can model then like, how do I come back from this? And how do I model like the appropriate way to apologize and to come to the table with a little bit of humility and compassion. And so that we can figure out as a team, how do we want to move forward from this interaction? How is this going to influence our relationship moving forward? And how can we use this as like a jumping off point for furthering our connection and feeling a little bit more vulnerable with one another and feeling ultimately like we left this interaction more connected than when we started it? That is so true and beautifully said. And like taking that as an opportunity to teach more. Sometimes like, you know, you get stuck in this perfectionistic viewpoint of you want to like, you want to show everybody that like, you know how to communicate effectively, but yeah, like you said, everybody's human and we all mess up. So mm -hmm. 
I really love that. Our issues with personal um, relationships are these like, is this like a big topic in your, in your clients when they come for help? I imagine. (laughs) Yeah. And it takes different forms because sometimes people are coming to therapy because they're like, wow, you know, the people in my life, I don't know what to do with these people because, you know, they're saying hurtful things or they're behaving in ways that are hurting my feelings or, you know, that make me angry or make me sad. And I don't know what to do about it. And so there's this conversation again about how do we advocate for ourselves in a, a safe way, in a kind and compassionate way. Um, and especially how do we approach that uh, advocacy from a point or a point of view that we're not trying to end the relationship, you know, and sometimes we get there where we have to cut ties and, and just sort of let the relationship go. And that's also fine. Um, but if somebody's not ready to do that, we have to figure out how do we walk that line of like, these are the things that I'm willing to put up with and the things that I'm going to allow into my like emotional bubble. And these are the things that are not going to fly. Um, but it also, you know, sometimes looks very different where I'll have a client, um, feeling really vindicated. Like I'm in the right here. And then we have to have a conversation about, okay, yes, everyone is entitled to feel exactly how they feel, but that doesn't entitle us to behave however we want to behave. And sometimes we have to own that, like, yeah, maybe you stepped over the line a little bit, or you are applying your own perspective and narrative about your life to the lives of other people. And like, that doesn't always work. So, you know, that's where the the conflict and the tension is coming from. I'm curious too, um, Mickey, if you have to sometimes, you know, let people know that a healthy relationship doesn't mean a perfect relationship. Mm -hmm. Because you see, sometimes I see when I'm talking about the subject with people that their eyes sort of like glaze over in a way and and you lose them and you're like hey where'd you go and they're like well you know i i can't do that because they're you know i'm a I'm, i have conflicts and i i'm feisty yes. and i'm and it's like you know no you're just because you have a healthy relationship doesn't mean you're not going to get really really mad at someone at some point and want to call them terrible names it just means that you have the skills to figure out how to a back off from that and maybe mm-hmm. not say those things or yes. or work through and talk through the conflict in a way that's not attacking someone when you calm down you know it takes a while to sometimes learn to say hey i need space right now yes you know it's oh, okay yeah. to say time out let's 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 take a chill pill and go to our respective corners, as they say in the boxing world, right? And we're mm-hmm. going to, you know, I'll talk to you in a little while. But at least you let them know, the, let the person know, right? I will talk to you. And, you know, so many folks get frustrated and and don't know what to do. And it's okay to say, time out, please. Or, you know what, right now, I don't have the words I need to use to fix this problem. So let's not pile on a bunch of words that are going to make it worse. Yes. Adult timeouts are one of my favorite things to talk with my clients about, um, especially when we're having these conversations about how do we work through conflict? Because, you know, for me personally, I am the person who zero to a hundred, like you say something to me that hurts my feelings and I am up here. Like I'm ready to either run away or like tell you all about how much I dislike that. So that's a skill that I've had to learn in my life. Um, 
you know, and we have this perspective that like timeouts are for kids, right? They're like a little kid thing. Um, but they're so useful for grownups because especially if you are that person who is zero to a hundred, it gives you some time to come down from that emotional place. First of all, because no one's going to have productive communication from that emotional state. Um, but also to kind of collect, like, why exactly did that push my button so much? You know, maybe it was something simple. Like I asked you to unload the dishwasher and it didn't get done. And that pushed me off an emotional cliff. So like, why is that? What about that interaction specifically hurt my feelings so much? And what am I looking for? Do I want the person to just say, sorry? Am I looking for them to now unload the dishwasher <laughs> and fix it? Am I looking to maybe negotiate like a different, um, responsibility breakdown with the chores. Like what about this is pushing my buttons and taking that time out gives you the time to collect your thoughts and kind of create this um, almost like a discussion format to kind of come to the table and say, okay, here's where I'm at. This happened, hurt my feelings. This is why this is what I'm looking for moving forward. And again, like how can we as a team facilitate that interaction um, and also then, you know, I teach my, or try to help my clients <laughs> make space for the other person to share like, okay, yes, this is why the dishwasher did not get unloaded. I hear you totally validate and understand why that hurt your feelings, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, that adult timeout piece is like, it's my favorite thing to use in my own life. And one of my favorite things to talk about with my clients, because it's really underutilized, I think. And there's you know, a piece of that too, right? Where with, with children, you know, it's a constant kind of thing talking about, we have to communicate that we need the space and it's yes. okay to ask for space, even from, even if it's with your teacher or with mom or dad or someone who has some power and control over you, it's okay to say, you know what, right now I need a little bit of space or I need a lot of space um, because one of the things with younger folks that I deal with a lot is the power of the silent treatment. And people don't realize like how, you know, that when you give someone the, the silent treatment, you're taking control of communication, which is a, like, which is something that wars have been fought over in human history. Like mm -hmm. communication is huge and, and, just such a big piece of, of all of our lives that when you cut somebody off and say, I'm not talking to you right now, you it's, it is like starting a little mini war and then they don't often know why you need a timeout. So it's really, I, I find with telling adults about this and telling kids about it's okay to take a timeout that we have to also explain that you do need to tell the person that you need a timeout and it often helps to let them know why you need the timeout so that they can go, oh, all right, they will talk to me when they calm down, I can relax, mm -hmm. and their tension level isn't going higher and higher and higher, because that's what happens with the, the silent treatment, right? Is mm -hmm. we give someone the silent treatment, we calm down, then we go back a day later or a week later and like, hey, let's <laughs> talk now. And they've had tension building now for a day or a week, and they're like, no, <laughs> you know, or they're, having all the assumptions right as to what's going on so their brain is going into fix it mode and mm -hmm. they're going to be fixing something that doesn't need to be fixed yeah yeah the other piece of that that i think is really key too is having uh, that understanding like you were saying that listen i'm taking time for me this is why i need time for me um, and communicating, like, I'm not dipping, I'm not just leaving <laughs> or refusing to engage with you. Um, one of the, the tools that I help 
uh, clients implement a lot is setting a timer on their phone uh, so that everybody is on the same page and that we want to leave the timer somewhere in a neutral space like the kitchen or the dining room <laughs> somewhere where when that timer goes off, it's real loud and everyone in the house is aware. Okay, it's time to come back to the table. We need to finish this conversation um, because that's the other piece of asking for space that's so critical is that, you know, if we say, oh, I need space until I can calm down and then just like avoid the situation altogether, like that's not helpful to anyone. Um, and so having that like mutual understanding of like, we're going to take 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and maybe, you know, at the end of that 15 minutes, I'm not calmed down yet. And so I'll say, we're going to reset the timer and we'll come back to it in 30 minutes instead. Um but it's really important to hold everybody's feet to the fire in that sense, because otherwise we do end up in this situation where we are giving people the silent treatment and, you know, almost maybe in an unconscious way, but trying to manipulate people, you know, that you're not allowed to express how you feel until I've decided that I'm done feeling upset. And like, that's not cool. That doesn't feel good to be on the receiving end of. No, I just love everything that like you guys have been saying. And it's just so relatable. Like we've all just been there. And I think that's what makes me kind of love the topic, the topic so much. But one of the key things here too, that I'm hearing is like just this need for self-awareness for reflection. And because how many times do you get, do you get upset about something and you don't take the time to, to reflect. So then you, you're acting kind of out of your ego, right. And your, your ego's damaged. So you're going to just try to hurt the other person. And then the other thing is, if you don't take that time, it becomes more of a, a who's right and who's wrong. And I hate that. And it's so frustrating and it's so unproductive. So taking that time to actually like Think about, like you said, Mickey, like, why is this upsetting me? And then to actually think about how can I like ameliorate this situation and then go back and with a solution oriented and the connection like oriented uh, frame of mind. It's just, it's just so, and then the times you do do that, like it's so much more fulfilling, right? And you feel so much better, but it's, oh, yeah. it's hard to do. And one other thing I wanted to mention was, I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on communication styles because I am like a non-confrontational person. The way like <laughs> I will in a fight, like I'll, I, I will have to step away and I will go and journal and like write everything that I'm thinking because I'm trying to understand it. And, but to be honest, then when I come back in, I'm like, I have a hard time communicating with my words, like, like verbally. Um, and I feel like I'm very easily swayed, right? Like if you give me like a rebuttal, I'm like, oh, I need to go write some more to like think this through. So that's just how I, it's frustrating for me, honestly. But I would like to hear your guys' thoughts on that. It's such a tough one because um, with, you know, working with students a lot, uh, they can, they grasp pretty quickly the idea of what a passive communicator does and doesn't do. Um, and how aggressive communication works. It's that assertive piece that is the tough one for most people to get because, you know, unfortunately, we don't see that type of communication modeled very often in like popular media, for example, where, you know, if, if we've got, I've got young folks who are watching all different kinds of animation, for example, and they're not seeing a lot of people saying, hey, you know, I feel mad and this is why I feel mad and here's what I need you to do. Not a lot of great eye messages. They're, you know, they're seeing like you're a blankety blanker, and you know, and and you need to go die, and not realizing like that that doesn't really tell the person why you're upset with them. It just mm -hmm. it shows that you're upset. You know, I always tell people like aggressive people do a great job of letting you know they're upset. 
they just forget to tell you why they're upset a lot of times. And then you have to, you know, you have to assume. And, and a huge one that comes up in classrooms all the time is, well, you know, I'm mad at them because they're mad at me. And now you have a fight and nobody knows why you're fighting. Mm-hmm. And sometimes other people get roped into this fight as well, right? And, you know, and I tell the students like, well, adults do that too. So if we learn how to not do that now, think about how much easier it's going to be when you get older, because you won't play those games with people. Um, it, so communication, it's, it's one that, I mean, I wish I could spend more time in the classroom talking about it specifically. Uh, but you, again, it goes back to that modeling thing. You have to really remember. And like, I, I'm, well, Kerrigan knows this. I love sarcasm. And, you know, but, and, but I also have to remember sometimes that, you know, when I say a sarcastic comment, it does a much better job of building a wall than breaking one down. And so in the classroom, if I say something that's got some sarcasm in, I better quickly remember to explain myself so that a student isn't taking what I said completely out of context or taking it personally. Um, so again, it goes back to really thinking about what we say and how we say it, our tone of voice, our body language. We spend a lot of time talking about body language too. You know, if I'm standing there with my arms crossed, mm-hmm. when you get home from school, like, you know, if I, if my child came home from school and I'm standing there with my arms crossed and I'm, but then I say, oh, I'm so glad you're home. That's not sending a clear message to them that I'm happy they're there even though I might just have my arms crossed because it's comfortable or I'm a little chilled, but you've got to remember, it's all a big, you know, our words, the way we say them, our body language, it's all a huge package. And I feel like instead of answering your question, Kerrigan, I just broadened it and made it worse uh, or more, you know, confusing, but it really is about, walking the walk and talking the talk and um and catching yourself when you you know slide because we're all a combination of passive aggressive and assertive that's my theory on it is that nobody is a hundred percent assertive not even mr rogers no yeah well and i i think the thing about that too um (laughs) it's funny listening to you talk about it one of the first experiences that i had with clinical social work um, was facilitating group therapy in a high school. And I'm just like having flashbacks to the like, well, I'm mad at them because they're mad at me. And so I'm not going to say anything first because (laughs) I don't want to be the one who, you know, gives in or loses. And I think that's such an important piece to talk about, you know, in terms of communication styles and all of that, that a lot of times our communication style is influenced from, you know, this ego place, like you were talking about Kerrigan, that how can I, sort of swing this interaction to look most favorable to me and to make myself as comfortable as possible. And a lot of learning how to do that assertive communicating is doing our best to be mindful of that and kind of taking that out of the equation. One of the things I encourage my clients to do a lot is like just word vomit, say the things that are coming to mind after you have had time to process the emotion and like not, you know, you're not like up here, um, 
but just word vomit what's coming up for you and just say like, you know, I had this thought and then it reminded me of this thing. And then I had this memory of this person who said this to me one time and that really hurt my feelings. That brought me to a deep place and like, get it all out there because we, you know, especially in a conflict or communication context, we can be right or we can be connected. We can't have both. And so if you're coming at this conversation from a point of view of like, I want to come out as the winner everybody's going to lose because you're not going to do any like really authentic, vulnerable communicating. You're going to be thinking the whole time about how to structure this conversation so that it works for me so that I get what I want. Um, and again, you're not going to have that moment at the end of the conversation where everybody leaves feeling like, wow, that was cool. Like, good for me. That felt really nice, you know, and we want that feeling obviously. Couldn't agree more. I think that something else we should I would love to dive into is, is we mentioned it briefly, but it's so important is this idea of active listening and just how crucial it is rather than just listening to our own, you know, voices list, like hearing other people out and wanting to genuinely like get to the bottom of like, let's say I'm on the, the, I'm the person that maybe hurt somebody's feelings. Like, can I come to that situation with more of kind of like a curious perspective of like, I'm so sorry. Like, can you explain, like, I want to understand why that hurt you. Um, so that I can know, you know, so that I can understand better. And then so that I can make sure not to do it again. This is something I talk about on my YouTube channel a lot, actually, is the idea of like how to apologize effectively. Um, I have like a cute little rubric that we use. Um, but yeah, I think that curiosity piece is really key because, especially when we are the person who is apologizing for having hurt someone, the tendency is like, how do I make this go away? It's uncomfortable and I don't like it. And I don't want you to be mad at me. So I will just like say, I'm sorry. Don't worry about it. Won't happen again anyways. And like, that's not really effective or helpful because that person that you're apologizing to doesn't feel heard. Um, so I love that, that idea of approaching these conversations from a place of curiosity and like actually asking the question, like, I don't get it. Can you explain it to me? Like what's going on from your side? You know, when we do classes at CASA about communication, as we define communication, I'm always very uh, deliberate in how I define it and that it's listening plus talking equals understanding. And that is, you know, and I'd say for some of you who like math, it's just like one plus two equals three, right? If you take one away, two doesn't equal three. If you take two away, one doesn't equal three. Um, and, and it has to start with that listening because it's maybe the very best way to show someone respect is to listen to what they say. I mean, I'll probably, that may be on my tombstone but it, it, I would argue with anyone that there's not a better way, in an in assertive way, of course, I would argue with them, that there's not a better way to show respect than to listen to what someone has to say. And also, the people in your life you have the most respect for are typically the people you listen to the most. If you, you know, and I ask the kids, like, if you need advice, do you go to someone whose opinion you respect? Or do you go to someone whose opinion you don't care about? you're going to go to someone whose opinion you respect. So it's re and when you ask someone a question, you're going to listen to what they say if you're showing them respect, if you're truly interested in it. Um, but 
it takes effort. We're not all born with an innate ability to actively listen. So it takes practice. And, you know, one of the things we talk about in our CASA lessons is that we, you know, we have to practice our listening skills. And that means, you know, just remembering that, again, going back to that two ears, one mouth rule, I should listen more than I talk. Um, and it's okay sometimes, it's not that we don't listen very well because it's hard to listen sometimes. And then talk about fact if someone is attacking you, we don't like to hear those things. So, mm-hmm. but aggressive, you know, and that's what we talk a lot about the communication styles and reform of that listening plus talking plus understanding. Passive people aren't telling us things. So we don't, our understanding is built on assumptions typically. Aggressive people are telling us a lot that they're upset, but we don't want to listen to them the way they talk. So it's really hard to get to that understanding as well. And aggressive folks are typically not using their best listening skills at that moment either. You know, I would, the kids get a big laugh out of it, but I always say like, I've never had someone who was yelling at me stop and go, okay, your turn to talk, you know, or <laughs> okay, you know, I've said, you know, they don't do that. So in order to get to that understanding, we have to figure out the best way to to listen to people and to tell them what we need to tell them. And, you know, sometimes people can't listen to us. So it's better to kind of take that time out at that point and say, all right, you know, I'll be happy to talk to you when you're ready to listen to me. I kind of want to like hone in on something you said about like the aggressive people. And like, here's my question. If you're dealing with somebody who's being aggressive, like they're they're trying to communicate with you, but it's coming across super aggressive, what's the best way to respond? Is it, do you set a boundary with them? Like you say, hey, you know, don't talk to me like that. Like you're speaking super rude to me. And so then you're not talking about the the actual issue anymore. Now you're talking about the fact that they're talking rude to you. So how do you find the balance between setting a boundary and basically say like, communicating that's not okay that they're talking to you that way, but also not like diverting from the actual issue at hand. So one of the things that, that we talk about, because the question comes up. I mean, that's a question that I've had literally hundreds of students ask me as well. How do I deal with that person? What, and, you know, and you have to go into the fact that you've got instincts kicking in at this point, right? You know, we have instincts, we have fight or flight. Um, and, you know, for some people, the first thing is, oh, you're saying aggressive things to me. Well, I'm going to say aggressive things right back to you. Um, because, you know, some of us are like Mickey said, we go from zero to a hundred, just like that. And it's, and, and that happens. So that self-awareness we were talking about, realizing, okay, I got to dial it back in. Um, we got to think about what's safest for us to do in that moment, because, you know, the, the really we're, we're talking about protecting ourselves and, um, and sometimes with aggressive people, we have to think about safety. So it doesn't matter what we say at that moment, it may not calm them down. Um, are we going to throw fuel on the fire by getting aggressive with them? Yes. We are. Could it happen to where you could tell someone to shut up, for example, which is a really aggressive thing to do? Um, Could it get them to stop talking? Maybe, but probably not, right? Most of us here, instead of hearing shut up, we hear, I dare you to keep talking, you know, because shut up's very aggressive. But saying, 
hey, you know what, what you're saying is making me really uncomfortable. I, I, I can't listen to you right now. That may not solve the problem, but you know, I talk to kids about it's really important. If that's the case, getting away from that person, getting space is the most important thing for you to do. Um, and, and, and then ask, if you can't, then finding someone that you can ask for help. Um, you know, and unfortunately we go into that sort of cycle then where there's always a child that says, well, what if there's no one to help you? And what if you can't get away from the person? And then, you know, I always tell them, well, when you play the what if game, it's really boring with me because I'm just going to answer the same way. You have to do the best thing to keep yourself safe as possible at that moment. Um, and that, you know, that could mean a lot of different things. Uh, but, you know, standing up for yourself in a way that's non-threatening, if you ha have that opportunity, is going to be the best way um, to protect yourself. It's just not perfect because it doesn't always solve the problem. Um, and and I, Mickey, I, I, I know you want to chime in, so um, <laughs> take it away. No, I love that because a lot of times when we talk about boundaries, we perceive them to be, you know, this like family therapy sounding interaction. We're like, okay, so my boundaries that I would like to set with you are then like, no, sometimes it's like that. Sure. Um, <laughs> that's what boundaries sound like a lot of times in my life because I'm a therapist and just like can't turn that language off sometimes. But a lot of our boundaries in regular life are very much situational. And so saying hey, I really don't like the way that you're talking to me right now might not be safe or feasible. So sometimes the best thing that we can do is like straight up leave or choose to not listen or say, nope, we'll come back to this when you're ready, but I'm not ready for that. I gotta go. <laughs> and like straight up leaving or choosing to not engage in the conversation, leaving the room, hanging up the phone, not answering that text message. There's lots of different ways that we can set that boundary that are more behavior-based than they are verbally. And I think, you know, it's important to talk about that because that's a very valid way to set a boundary and to say, not for me, that's not going to fly in my relationships, or at least it's not going to fly today. So we need to find a different way to approach this situation. Um, and I, I love that you talked about safety, Tom, because I think especially in communication and in relationships, it's important to have that conversation, not just about like physical safety, but emotional and mental safety too. Because, you know, if I'm a person who's coming to a conversation with a trauma history, because I had verbally abusive primary caregivers growing up, having a partner who goes zero to a hundred feels really threatening. And that's like a trauma reactivation, you know? So we need to honor that our communication style might be pushing buttons that we don't think that it is for other people. And we need to give people the respect that they deserve in, you know, those like small advocacy steps that they can take to remove themselves from a conversation or to not engage until we're ready or we're okay to have the conversation from a little bit calmer place, you know? Because I think a lot of, you know, our, our relationships and effective communication is based, like you were saying, Tom, in that mutual respect and in, um, you know, the consideration for like the safety and well-being of other people and for ourselves. Yeah, we, you know, words are powerful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I share with students all the time that I can remember the way it felt when people said things to me. 40 years ago, way easier than I can remember how it felt to have somebody push me on the playground or a punch in the stomach or something like that. 
you know, I, I can, you know, think about how powerful, you know, and we, and we grew up, I know it's not said as much anymore, but I know in some houses it probably is, but we grew up with sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. And, you know, what they should have said was words will break your heart. Um, and, you know, I know that like when I, made that reference to students as recently as the last four or five years and they kind of look at me like what like I, don't, I think that is out of the vernacular in a in a lot of for a lot of people but there's still a lot of young men out there who are taught not to cry you know and a lot of young women who are taught not to speak up um and or you know young people in general well the adults are talking you don't have a voice um which plants that the wrong seed for what we're talking about. We want people to, you know, I, it's funny when you think about all the people out there who are telling their kids to be quiet, yet they then will say in the next sentence that if somebody ever harmed my child, I would flip out. And it's like the best thing you can do for your kids is to teach them to stand up for themselves and have a voice because People who harm children are looking for children who will not speak up and and say, hey, cut it out, or will tell somebody what's happened. And it's like it's so it's so frustrating um, to to hear those types of things. Like, I want you to talk when it's the right time to talk. When you know we want we need to teach people that it's it's okay. When when our safety is concerned, it's always a good time to talk about it. Or as yours, or get away from somebody who's putting us in a dangerous situation, you know? Um, boundaries, it's, I, I, I go, I know exactly what you're talking about with like, we go into that sort of like, all right, here's how we establish them. And you, but they're, they're, they are situational and they're a feeling thing too. Like sometimes mm -hmm. we can't quite put our finger on, why is this person giving me the creeps? It, you know, and it even, and some of us will, I even feel bothered sometimes like, why am I, I start judging myself, like, why am I being this judgmental person who's getting creeped out by someone when there's probably a very real reason why my instincts are saying, be careful. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so, I mean, we may have different boundaries every day with the same people. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I think that's so key to talk about too, because boundaries and relationship norms will fluctuate and change over time. And that does not mean that they're bad. It does not mean that you're changing your mind a bunch or you're being flighty or you're being a baby. Like that's a very normal and human part of having relationships with other people that, you know, the person I was six months ago is different than the person I am today. So of course my boundaries and my communication preferences with all of the people that I have relationships with look differently, you know, and we, again, really need to be making space for people and especially young people. I sound like such an old lady, but like the youngins to, you know, feel how they feel and to voice that with people. Um, and I think, you know, as like the, the quote unquote adults in the room, that's part of the, the modeling that we have to do as teachers, as professionals, as parents, um, that we're not offering that conditional acceptance of setting boundaries when it's convenient for me or voicing how you feel only when I have time or when I you know, feel like that's allowed um, and like really consistently creating this environment where people and you know, especially women and people who are part of marginalized groups feel comfortable to say like, hey, you know what? Not okay, didn't like that. And 
we're not doing that again. And, you know, as much as we talk about too, the importance of approaching communication from this uh, emotionally regulated place, there is, I think, um, something to be said for allowing people to voice things in the best way that they know how, because we can get into really dangerous territory with tone policing people and saying like, well, your boundaries are not valid because you voiced it in an aggressive way when really, you know, especially for somebody who maybe didn't have, you know, this like really cool framework that you guys are offering, they might be voicing it in the way that they learned was the most effective or the most safe for them in a different time of their life. And so we have to be willing to honor, you know, the content of your boundary is super valid and I'm going to respect that. And maybe at another time we can have a conversation (laughs) about the delivery of that boundary. Um, But yeah, I think especially with people who are in that really volatile developmental phase of figuring out how to have those relationships, it's really, really important to offer that like unconditional acceptance of like, go off, voice how you feel, we will work through it and we will figure out the best way for you to voice that, the most helpful way for you to voice that moving forward. Um, You know, but while you're in that skill building phase, it is what it is. Well, and understanding, right, the difference between using a loud, clear voice and yelling mm-hmm. because you can, you know, so when you're mad, you might need to raise your voice, but you don't have to yell. Um, you don't have to use a put down to <laughs> emphasize or, you know, a lot of, a lot of young folks and, and, and older folks um, enjoy a good swear word from time to time. You know, they're hilarious in proper context in a funny movie. Right. But they also, do not tell people what is wrong, you know? And that's, and people think, well, you should know I'm mad because I said F you, but that doesn't tell you what you did wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think there's also a really big difference between swearing uh, sort of generally and like directing those swear words at other people. Mm -hmm. I tell my clients all the time because I have this cute little like rules for fair fighting handouts um, that I'll give people. And on there is, you know, no swear words, no cussing. And they're like, well, I don't know if that's like really attainable. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> it's a very big difference between saying what the F and saying F you, those are not the same. And so, you know, sometimes we're frustrated and, you know, sometimes the best way that we could express that is swearing. Like I, you know, fair warning, if any of you <laughs> want to look up my content after this podcast, riddled with swear words. Um, but there's a big difference between directing that at people and using it as a tool to make other people feel small and just using it to be expressive because it's part of your vernacular. Well, yeah, because we don't think going back to the listening thing, right? One word can stop listening in its tracks. Mm -hmm. And that can be intentional on the person who's delivering the word. Like I'm going to take control of the conversation right now by saying the dropping the magic bomb or it can be completely unintentional, but you know, you can get, someone will stop. You can even be trying to tell someone, you know, going back to the, the flexibility of certain swear words, you can be expressing your excitement. But if you say like, this is the best blanking present I've ever gotten. Thank you so much. They stop listening at blanking, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't, for them, it's not a, you being grateful anymore. It's you being rude and disrespectful. Yeah. Um, so again, you know, I'll say it again. Words are powerful, and people forget that sometimes. I um, 
took like a whole course about gendered communication and the way that our sexist society teaches men and women to communicate differently in my undergrad. And that was one of the things that we as a, a cohort fought about or disagreed about a lot was, you know, this power of language and that, you know, the difference between calling an adult woman, a girl and a woman like that's powerful. And that carries a different insinuation and, you know, in communication, it's, it's very similar. And if I, I tell someone, you know, I think that you're being a baby instead of saying, I'm not sure that you're ready to talk about this, or I don't feel like we're seeing each other. Like those carry a very different implication, you know, and the name calling piece of that is so really just important to honor because like you were saying, Tom, you know, for somebody who like, especially men get this a lot where they express emotion and we shame them for calling them like a a sissy or baby, or you're being, you know, a wuss, that word can be an instant stop where somebody like puts that wall up and it's like, never mind. I, you know, either on a conscious or subconscious level, I am out to lunch, no longer available to have this conversation with you. Um, and if we wanted to get into like really, really high level, like advanced communication skills, it, it is useful to notice when your partner or the person uh, that you're communicating with does this, people have certain physical tells and you can kind of clock when that happens and then to go, okay, hold on. You just, where'd you go? That's my favorite question to ask, but where'd you go? Um, but, you know, just being aware of the, the way that the language that we use can affect other people is also a really important part of building those long-term, really connected relationships with people. Yeah, I'm glad you talked about that moment of like, where did you go? Because it goes, goes back to that whole, like we send so many mixed messages sometimes by not having our tone and our words match or our, you know, that's where, you know, people get in lots of trouble with emails, right? And which is going off on a whole different tangent or text messages, you know, you send something and think, oh, this is really clever and funny. And the other person reads it and is like, oh my gosh, like, what did I do to mm-hmm. make them so angry when you're not angry at all? And then, you know, we got We have to try to avoid those mixed messages when possible. You know, and people do have those tells. When you sit in a classroom with someone all year long, you're going to figure out some of those. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think if you're being, you know, like an active listener or like observer in your relationships too, you'll start to notice, like, I know my husband does this thing with his nose. He will touch his nose. Like I know his nose is not itchy when he gets uncomfortable or he feels attacked. He touches his nose and I'm like, oh, oops, I'm sorry. (laughs) Hold on. We need to reset because I am making you feel defensive and I need to check the language that I'm bringing into the room. Being able to have that humility and being able to step back and say, okay, like I, I crossed a line. I did not mean to do that. It's, it's so key. Yeah. I mean, and that's where we kind of get into like, you know, go to therapy for anybody listening. If you're waiting for a sign from the universe that it's time to go to therapy, it's time you should go. Um, but doing that self-esteem work and, and feeling comfortable with yourself enough to say like, Ooh, my bad. Uh, that was me. Sorry. (laughs) I have to take responsibility for that. That's all part of, you know, working on ourselves and our relationship with ourselves so that we can improve our relationship with other people. Um, But even if you don't have access to go to therapy or it's not a feasible option for you right now, there's still lots of work that you can do to bring that humility to the table and um, offer that, um, you know, just like kindness and compassion to people. And I think we haven't even really talked about this yet, but we 
you know, I hear you, you're talking about like being vulnerable, Kerrigan, and, and, and humility. I think, well, this is, this is one of the great being allowed to have those feelings and being allowed to be vulnerable and, and be humble in a relationship is a byproduct of trust. And we, mm -hmm. haven't, we haven't talked about trust yet. Um, but in order to do that, we have to trust the other person we're in that relationship with, no matter who, what type of relationship it is. Um, and, you know, some folks come to trust, right, really quickly in relationships and will give it freely and willingly until you give them a reason not to. Um, and some folks have to come, come to trust, you know, millimeter by millimeter. Um, and, and, and neither is right or wrong. It's just what it is. Um, but it's, I mean, you know, that's in the, in our CASA sort of way of looking at the basics of relationship. That's the next step after building healthy communication is that's what builds trust. You know, and you gotta throw a little honesty in there too, right? Um, but you're not gonna get there if you don't have respect and you don't have healthy communication, which doesn't mean perfect. Doesn't mean there's never any problems. It just means that when there's a problem, we figure out a way to talk about it in a way that's not hurtful to everybody in a, in a situation. Um, I don't know. So how do you, like Mickey, what do you, when you have folks come in who maybe are having some trust issues, um, how, how, how can people build, build that trust? Well, I think one of the first things that we usually, or at least, yeah, for me, usually what we talk about um, you know, is where is this lack of trust coming from? Because if that's trauma informed, that's a different conversation. And that's again, individual work that can be done, um, to adjust those thought patterns that exist. Um, you know, that might create feelings of mistrust where there's not a valid reason or not, not a, a factual reason for that to be there. Um, but again, I, I think the, the openness and the honesty there is really important that if you are a person who struggles with trust and maybe you're, you know, trying to make a new friend or you're trying to connect with coworkers or start a relationship romantically to just be honest. So like, listen, I don't really trust you yet. And like, that doesn't mean that you're a distrustful person, but I'm just not there yet. Um, or, you know, I guess just like honoring that we all come to the table with different things and we all have different ways of operating and that's okay. And like you were saying, Tom, some people trust millimeter by millimeter and some people come into the room and like throw their bag of trust on the table. Like, here it is, you can have it. And both of those are very valid approaches. Um, but we, again, like the individual <laughs> work there is in honoring that this is the way that I am. And that's okay. I don't have to be one of the people who throws my bag of trust on the table and says, here, you can take whatever you want out of it. Um, and especially in romantic relationships, it is okay. And I would argue like probably safe for you to develop that trust gradually over time. Um, because ultimately that's where the intimacy comes from. You know, when we first meet a new person, we talk about like boring cliches and like, Oh, like the weather and you catch that game on Sunday. Like, whatever. I don't say that, but I'm sure some people do. Um, but that is like our sort of baseline for like, I don't know you, I don't trust you. Um, but when we build up that familiarity and we maybe have those moments where they see you, you know, get scared or say something that's really funny, or you talk about your, you know, relationships with other people, 
we delve deeper into that intimacy and, and feeling more comfortable sharing parts of our authentic selves that we don't just share with like our Starbucks barista. Um, but again, like that's all part of time, you know, and I think patience and self-acceptance is such a key part of that. Sorry if you can hear my dogs, by the way, they hate the Amazon man. Um, but yeah, just, just giving ourselves the time and the patience, like that's usually the thing that I come back to over and over again with clients um, is releasing ourselves of this self-criticism and the self-judgment of like, I should be doing it this way, or I, you know, this is the healthiest way to be doing something. And like, who cares? That doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't matter if it's like the quote unquote healthiest or the thing that you should be doing. What matters is what's feasible for you right here, right now, today. And if what feels feasible and safe is for you to extend that trust millimeter by millimeter, then lean into that share that with the people in your life and be honest about it and release yourself of this expectation of being this perfectly self-actualized human being who feels resilient enough to just trust people and get burned, you know, because sometimes that also happens. It certainly does. <laughs> I wish I was that person. No, here I am doing the shoulds. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't shit on yourself. I know, yeah, I know. That's I, one of my favorite sayings. Tom told us about this on an earlier episode and I have to have to keep reminding myself mm-hmm. it's a life lifelong journey. Um, I know we are reaching, uh, I think about an hour now and I could keep talking about relationship skills. Obviously there's still so much to be discussed, but I want to be respectful of both of yours time. So I want to just open it up and give you both an opportunity to just share any final thoughts you have. You know, as someone who has been working for about 20 years now to help not only my students, but just anyone have healthy relationships. Um, I would just want folks out there who are listening to just, you know, go easy on yourself. If you're working on these skills, you know, keep working on them. Don't, and it's frustrating. It's hard sometimes because, and people don't act the way we want them to, but, you know, if you are doing your best to surround yourself with people who respect you, who respect what you have to say and your boundaries and are okay with hearing the word no occasionally um, or often, depending on how many boundaries you need to throw out there, that's totally fine. Um, and you're building trust with people and you're treating people like they're, you know, and remembering that their feelings are just as important as yours. You know, my feelings aren't any more important than anyone else's. Um, you know, if we're doing these things and we're being true to ourselves, um, you know, you can build healthy relationships. Even if you have ne- never been a part of one, you can start building them today. Um, and the more that you practice it, the easier it will get. And the less of the, you know, the less of the stuff maybe you used to put up with, the less you will put up with. And, you know, Nikki said something earlier that I thought was great is that you can let relationships go and it's okay even healthy relationships come to an end and we say goodbye to people. Um, so, you know, what, if you're on this path, you're keep at it, keep working at it. And, you know, remember that it all starts with respecting each other and listening. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think my sort of, you know, thoughts for the road are just really, when in doubt, lean into empathy and honesty um, be willing to extend people that benefit of the doubt and be willing to share, you know, at least some part of what's truly honestly going on for you. 
Um, you know, and like Tom said, give yourself some room to breathe and like be nice to yourself because this is hard. I, I tell my clients this all the time, but I promise you just because I am a therapist and technically have all of the skills at my disposal does not mean that I don't have days where I lose it <laughs> because <laughs> things didn't go the way that I wanted them to, or because someone didn't communicate with me the way that I was hoping. And that's okay. All of those, um, moments are learning opportunities and those are valuable information and data for us to bring to the table um, in improving our relationships moving forward. And again, I just really want to drive home the point that none of us are ever done growing. There is not a finish line for being a human being or being, uh, you know, a healthy part of a relationship. And so it's okay. Give yourself room to breathe and make mistakes and do it wrong and come back to the table and try it again and again and again and again. Um, because ultimately that's, you know, that's part of the human condition. Absolutely. Well, this has been so amazing. And I am so grateful to have had this conversation with you guys today. And Mickey, I want to give our listeners all the resources that they need to reach out, check out your YouTube channel, all the good stuff. Yeah. Um, so my YouTube channel is just Mickey Atkins. And then all of my other social media is Mickey Atkins LMSW. Um, I make videos every Saturday on YouTube and I would love to have you and come chat with you. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at. I'd love to um, connect. Awesome. And I'll put all that information in the show notes as well. Okay, you two. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you Thank guys. You. Have a good day.